0: Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exist to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you
1: in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've
0: joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message.
1: Rise and shine. It's 6 a.m. and your hand can't make it to the alarm clock before the voices in your head start telling you it's too early, too dark, too cold to get out of bed. Muscles lie still in rebellion, pretending not to hear your brain commanding them to move. A legion of voices are shouting the unanimous permission for you to hit the snooze button and go back to dreamland. But you didn't ask their opinion. Your heart beats with a compassion for others, but in the back of your mind, there's always a question hesitation, but you won't let it stop you. The voice you've chosen to listen to is one of defiance, a voice that convicts you, pulling you towards impact you were meant to make. So sit up, put your feet on the floor, and don't look back, because we've got work to do. What is each day but a series of conflicts between the right way and the easy way? Thousands of roads stretch out before you like a spider's web, each one promising the path of least resistance. But you know, it's not about the rational. It's about the irrational. So it's time. Rise up! Step out. Become a difference maker.
0: Hello. (laughs) We've been talking as a church about something that needs to change. So just a quick pull. Raise your hand on this. Do you have a problem? It can be small. It can be big. But I'm just curious. Are you aware of? Do you personally have a problem? Okay. Okay. It appears as though most of you. Good. Good. Most of you are are aware. (laughs) Because if if you read a headline, you immediately should know that we we have a problem. There's a difference that needs to be made. When you wake up and you live your day, maybe it's a difference very personal to you, and it's in your life. Maybe it's global. But I think we all know that there are areas of extreme darkness in this world. Perhaps it's close to your own home, where you work maybe, and definitely globally. So what we've been doing, and this is the final week, and I'm just going to tell you right away, this is my favorite one. We've got to go after this story of making a difference. We've used a guy. Named Nehemiah. He made a difference, a, a significant difference. He worked for a king. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good gig. And, and his life is good. He's tasting the wine of the king to make sure it's good, right? That sounds awesome as a job, drinking wine. No, you're, you're afraid to say that in church. It's okay. So what I'm telling you is he had a pretty good life, a pretty satisfying life. All of a sudden, he gets news from his brother, though, that his homeland, his people, because that's not where he was living, they are living in disgrace, in trouble. It's horrific. It's bad. And he gets the news that after over 100 years, his people are still living in a mess. And it breaks his heart. So he's like, i got to do something about this. And so we as a church have said, you know what, we've got to do something different. We've got to do something about the problems, maybe in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our city, in our state. And way beyond that, we've got to make a difference. Now, in case you've missed this series, one, you can go watch it or listen to it. But let me give you three lines that summarize the whole thing. Here's what we've talked about. In regard to Nehemiah's life, he he had a why. As soon as he hears about his people and how they're living in disgrace, he's going to make a difference. He's going to go after this. And instead of the king's wine being his why, now helping his people get out of disgrace is his new why, what breaks his heart, why he wakes up. If you're going to make a difference, you need a why. It can't be ambiguous. It can't just be random. You, you need to have why you're doing what you're doing. And as we went through this story we learned that Nehemiah wasn't just emotional about it. Many of us get emotional about a lot of things. I had to stop watching the news. It just messed with me too much. See, Nehemiah took his why and attached a plan to it. It wasn't just emotional. It was like, I got a plan. He involved different people and got resources. He even involved the king, which is a pretty big deal. And anytime you've ever tried to Take something that breaks your heart and do something about it. We learned in the last weekend that all of a sudden everything's going great and you're going to have problems. We call it opposition. <laughs> oh, isn't opposition fun? Opposition has a tendency to make you think that, uh, well, maybe you, you made the wrong decision. You're like, I thought I was supposed to make a difference about this and this has kind of been tough to go through it, those kinds of stuff. Well, we learned that Nehemiah had his own set of problems in opposition. That's where we've been so far. I hope if you've missed it, you'll get caught up because we, we need more difference makers. So you might wonder, if you don't know the story of Nehemiah, so, so he, he had a why and he had a plan and he had opposition. So how did this play out? Well, I'll show you. It says right here, uh, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. I mean, I'd say that's overachieving. I'd say that's a big deal. I don't know if you've ever accomplished anything. Some of us are like, no, not yet, and you're waiting. But if you've ever accomplished anything, I mean, sometimes when I get done mowing the lawn, I take pictures because I'm like, I did something today, right? When you get done with something, and you wanted to make a difference, and you made the difference, most of us are not like, eh. No, you, you celebrate. You party. You have some sort of a moment. I don't know how long the moment is, but there's some sort of a hey, look what I did. Look what happened. Now, here's what's fascinating to me I'm a longtime church person, I'm a fourth generation pastor in a row. I have always known the church. I've heard more sermons than most of you have ever heard. Typically, when, when someone preaches about Nehemiah and building the wall 52 days, I mean, we should be like, that's, well done, well done, that was, that was good. Most of the time, did you know that that's when the sermon series is over? Where it's like, all right, you, you need your why, you need your plan, you got some opposition, but you build
1: it, yay!
0: And rarely is the rest of the story preached on, which has led many to major problems in their lives. And so I want to walk us through. If you don't want to just be a difference maker for a moment, please listen to this message that I think God has for us. Now what I want to show you, because there's a lot to learn from it, it's not just that they celebrated after the 52 days of building a wall. I want to show you how they celebrated. because Some of you have your own style of how you celebrate, and you will never admit it to anyone. <laughs> let, me show you, let me show you how they began to do this. This is worth noting. Now, for those of you who will get caught up, like, I don't read the Bible very often. Don't worry, I will summarize after. Here we go. So, on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly. They're partying, okay? Which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the Watergate. It has nothing to do with Nixon, by the way. Just keep reading. Okay. Just inside the Watergate from early morning until noon. Now, I underline that. I just want you to understand the time frame. So they've just built the wall. It's going amazing. 52 days. They're going to have a party. And it appears as though they spend about five, six, maybe seven hours and read aloud to everyone. Who could understand all, all the people listen closely to the book of the law, the Bible, for six hours? Some of us struggle paying attention to a 30 minute sermon. Six hours of someone reading to you. Oh, I know half of us would have been asleep. And they begin to celebrate and celebrate. October, and now we're at October 8th. No, that's not. let's go to the next day. The Bible tells exactly what's going on, how they're, how they're having a party. On October 9th, the family leaders of all the people, not all the people, but the family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and Levites, met with Ezra the scribe to go over the law in greater detail. And some of us are like, no, I think we would have handled that in the six hours that we, we heard the details of the Bible being read. I just want you to see how they celebrate it. you got to pay attention. I have something to teach, but you got to know that they have this epic moment. They're celebrating. It's awesome. And it seems to involve day after day of hearing the Bible. If you're missing it, see, sometimes as religious people, oh, it's all about the Bible. No. They're leaning in to hear something that God has to say to them. So if you fast forward, go to the end of the month. On October 31st, the people assembled again this time, they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place. They remained standing in place for three hours. While the book of the law of the Lord their God, the Bible, was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. I told you I'd summarize because I know I just read a lot to you. Let me show you the summary, the time frame. October 2nd, they finished the wall. I mean, that's when you scream and yell if you do this. And you're like, this is amazing. No longer do they have to live in shame and disgrace and trouble. they got a wall. They're protected. This is going to be good. And so they're like, okay, we got to celebrate. we got to do this right. And so starting October 8th, they like, let's hear, let's hear what God has to say from the Bible. Then the next day, they gather the leaders. They begin to do the same thing. That then launched a seven-day festival where every single day started, what's the Bible have to say? What's the Bible have to say? The end of this leads into what's called confession. You, you saw me read this, where it's not just reading the Bible, but they've got some sins, some stuff that they got to speak, they got to let go of, and they are going to give it to God where they confess. I don't know how you celebrate when you make a difference. My guess is you don't do what they just did. Uh, okay, I don't. But it's something to learn. Because how you celebrate, listen, how you celebrate the difference you made has everything to do with the problem you had at the beginning. I hope you caught that. I hope you caught the fact that they're not celebrating like, well, this seems like a neat idea. No one thinks it's a neat idea to stand out for six hours in one place listening to someone else read something unless there was a problem that's been fixed, and then to do it day after day after day, it's not like they were super weird people. No, they're just like you and I. And then they amped the whole celebration up. If you think that's been extreme so far, ha! <laughs> they decide. After all of the hearing from God through the Bible, after confessing their sins, all of this had to do with why they even found themselves in the original problem. They decide, we know what we need to do. We need to make some promises to God that will get put in the Bible. They didn't know it would be put in the Bible. But they knew it would be permanent. Let me show you, because I'm not making this stuff up. The people responded you know, in response to the hearing from the Bible, the law of God, in response to confessing, uh, the people responded, in view of all of this, we are making a solemn promise. If you want to know if they meant the promise? Huh. And putting it in writing? Oh, shoot. Anytime you put a promise in writing, you're like, I, I'm really serious about this. On this sealed document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. I I hope you're somewhat curious as to what they promised because they put it on paper. Now, just so you know, I'm going to tell you. Here's the first problem. There weren't a whole lot of promises, three specifically. We promised not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land. I've used this with my own daughter. I just stop it. We're not going to let our daughters marry. We promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land. This is referencing people who worshipped, uh, well, pretend gods, false gods. They worship trees and stuff like that. So we, we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land and not to let our sons marry their daughters. You see the promise. Just, I'm not making this up. I just want you to see the promise. And they make another promise. Let me show you another promise. We also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath, if you're new to that, that's the day they worshipped God and set it apart, or on any other holy day, we'll refuse to buy it. Every seventh year, we will let our land rest. And we will cancel all debts owed to us. Big promise. They made, they made, made another promise. Let me, we promised to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year. Whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. Now you can read this more in depth, but you'll learn this got detailed quite a bit. What they promising that they were going to give to God. In fact, it even finished off verse 39. Look at this. We promised together not to neglect the temple of our God. Again, if you're new, like not to neglect the church. Now, because I have no attention span whatsoever, like it's gone. I, I had a party for it the other day. I just decided it's gone. So I read those verses to you, and I know for many of us, you're like, okay, what's it saying? I thought I'd summarize that part too. Here's the promises. We will protect. This is going in the Bible. We will protect. They were saying, all right, here's what we promised God. Not only have we heard from you and and read your Bible and and we've confessed our sins, so here's what we promised you. We're going to protect. We're going to make sure that we watch the influences coming into our homes. Remember the whole who marries whom and all that kind of stuff? What they were saying was, we lost our city our safety, we fell into disgrace because we had stopped protecting our kids and who influence them and who influences us. Does it not sound like a current day problem? They promised that they will now protect their families and their people from outside bad influences. And they said, we will rest. That was another promise. We will rest. We're going to make sure that, that not only do we go to this day of worship, but we're going to rest on that day of worship. If you don't know this in creation story, Jesus or God said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to work here, work here, work here, I'm going to have a day of rest. So they said, you know what, we need to do that too. So they decided, they promised, we're going to have a day where we rest. And they said, we will give. This is what led to our demise. In fact, I'll detail more. But what they said is, what what led us to our problems, what led us to our issues, what we promise, we promise in front of our leaders, our people, we promise to not go back on this. And they parted. Yeah, they they spent time hearing from the word of God and confessing, but they had festivals of festivals. It was epic. Can you imagine everyone gathering into the city square and signing this promise to God? That's an awesome moment. And typically we're like, end of story. That's awesome. But they are like you and I. And if you keep reading the story... They didn't fulfill their promises. I've been there. I don't know if you're willing to admit that you've promised something at some point and just not fulfilled it. Maybe you didn't have ill intent. I doubt you did. But most of us have said, I promise. And then it's like, I forgot. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe, maybe you got selfish. Well, the story in Nehemiah of making a difference isn't just about having something that breaks your heart and creating a plan and and going through opposition. And that's why we have to have this talk. So Nehemiah leaves for a little bit and then he comes back. Here's what happens. I'll just show it to you just so you know I'm not making this stuff up. He comes back. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So he comes back. They made promises. He was, you know, let's let's do this. So they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work their fields. If you don't understand this, I need to describe it to you because this is very real. (laughs) So you remember when they promised that they would make sure that they would give They would not neglect the temple. Well, it appears as though they didn't truly mean it. And after Nehemiah went away for a little bit, they stopped giving to the temple. It got so bad that the priests, even the worship leaders, they had to cancel the worship services so that those folks could go work the fields to actually generate some food for themselves. Many of us would be like, "Uh uh-oh. But that wasn't the only promise they broke. In those days, I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. If you've already forgotten, remember they promised not to do this. You can disagree with this or fight this, but you can't disagree with the fact that they promised not to do this. And it appears as though they did it. And they even broke the other promise. About the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married Women from Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. Now you're like, I have no, who cares where they're from? Well, the folks from these areas were the folks that matched that description of that pagan stuff. Remember I read that to you? And I don't know what your opinion is on this stuff, but what you have to agree to, you cannot disagree, you can't even argue it. They made promises and they broke their promises. And many of us, if we're honest, could admit that we've been in the exact same place before. That led to their demise. In fact, they begin to implode. They begin to actually fall apart. And so I, I want to I bring something up because I, I think this is important. This, uh, this lamp here, um, this has been what we're going after. We've talked a lot about being a church that kind of has a flame like that. Personally, I like to, like, where we get some smoke out. Yes. The Israelites build a wall in 52 days. And I think they were something like this. (laughs) And they're like, this is awesome. (laughs) Nehemiah leaves. For a little bit. And I'll tell you what I just read to you, everything I'll sum it up, they moved more down to this. If you want to know the significance of this, let me bring you to the verse that we've used as our, in essence, our crux for this whole thing. You are the light of the world. Just I want you to think about how well have you been doing this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. (laughs) Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl unless their leader leaves unless something else comes up unless something shiny shows up it's not that this never happens it's that it should not happen neither do people put a lamp and put it put it under a bowl instead they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. If you want to know what's at stake, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Look at this. Good deeds. The Bible sometimes can be confusing. Can we admit that? Let me show you something that's not confusing. That word, that word right there, that's plural. You're welcome for that. I grew up with an English teacher mom. Deeds. Let me, let me summarize what I told you. The difference they made was in jeopardy of being a one-hit wonder. They were walking into this season where, yeah, they built something in 52 days. Maybe you've been there. Maybe, maybe you participated in Love Week for the first time ever, and you're like, I feel pretty good about myself. Some of you painted like professionals. Some of you painted as much as professionals paint, just not as well as professionals paint. (laughs) Is that going to be your one good deed? Maybe you go back, you've served at some point, or you've, you've given something, or you've invested in, in somebody, and you had a good conversation, and you feel good about it. But are, is it just one time? If you don't know what a one hit wonder is, you don't like it, okay? Let me, let me help you. Uh, I'll give you an example of, of these guys one hit wonder. Now, I know some of you are like, who, who are those gentlemen? Uh, let me help you. Listen. I feel like I should apologize to you now. <laughs> you may have enjoyed that song the first time you heard it. Maybe even the 10th time, but many of you, when that comes on at a wedding reception, you're like, we're leaving now. (laughs) One-hit wonders are uh, forgettable and you don't wanna be one. If you don't know what I'm going after, I thought this might help. Let me show you the difference between a difference maker and and a one-hit wonder. A difference maker is all about the mission. Like, let's go after this. Each day you wake up and you're like, I got a mission to accomplish, a why. A one hit wonder is a bit more emotional, where you wake up and you're like, I don't feel like it today. And your feelings drive your day. And now you've had a, a list of days that were all emotion and no mission. A difference maker says, I got to sacrifice today. It's got to happen today. I got to sacrifice today. A one hit wonder is brilliant. At procrastinating. Maybe, maybe you're single, you're like, you know what, I'm gonna make a difference when I get married. When I have kids, when I have a job, when I graduate. Many, many people procrastinate. Maybe, maybe you're waiting to, to be generous to when you have a lot of money. Statistically tell you if you wait, then then you won't be generous. See, many of us are here. Uh, difference maker is faithful. Like, sticking with it. And obviously, a one-hit wonder is a fad. Where the song comes and, and goes away, and you don't even recognize who even wrote it. Are you going to be a difference maker or a one-hit wonder? I hope, I hope you'll take questions like this and that you'll walk them into your life. Because many of us are in danger of in that verse going, I'm going to be the light for my one good deed. And that's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said that our life should be full of them. That in order for us to make the difference that we're supposed to make, it's not supposed to be a one-hit wonder. This is a faithfulness conversation. That's where Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, seems to go, where we have all the details, all the the pieces, and we see what happened. But if you don't know this about stats, do you know that not even half of the book of the whole thing in the Bible, not even half of it, goes towards the story of rebuilding. The rest of it goes towards oops. So uh, when it comes to your life and the difference you need to make, how faithful have you been? Let, let me show you about faithfulness. I'm going to teach you about faithfulness just real quick. The, the power of a promise is, is not in my words. It's in my faithfulness. Because I know some of us have promised to make a difference. I mean, that's, that's what the Israelites did, right? You, I, I read them to you. Here's the promises we're making. Yay! <laughs> and we broke them. And so I can tell you the power of a promise is not in my words. It's in my faithfulness. And you know this because immediately I can help stir up some pretty bad emotions for you. Because is that not the pain? It's not not what someone said, it's what they actually did. Do you know how many weddings I've been to where they look at each other all like gooey, gooey looking, whatever you call it? And like, this is, is my forever. And that promise is so important. I'm not attacking promises. I'm saying we got to start dealing with the faithfulness that's backing that up, that's fueling that. I, I think the, the power of a promise between a, a married couple, the, the power of a promise between a parent and a kid, the power of a promise between a boss and an employee, come on, that's powerful. Powerfully dangerous and powerfully Helpful. What promises have you made in your life that you've not fulfilled? You can land in that shame or say, "You know what? Not anymore. I'm going to be a difference maker." Now to give you a little bit more, because I know I don't want to just be like, "Yeah, David, I uh, I promised some stuff, and I haven't been faithful." Let me teach you more here. here a difference maker knows today produces what tomorrow needs. If you want to be good with promises, not bad. Some of us might say, hey, I'm bad at promises, so I don't make promises anymore. No. God made promises and continues to do so. Promises are not the enemy. See, see, this is where a person who's a difference maker and is like, you know what? Guess what happened? We built this in 52 days. That's it. No, 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 no. You say, you know what? What I do today matters tomorrow. What I do today Helps tomorrow. Faithfulness. I'd like to be very, very, very open with you. I think one of the most catastrophic breakdowns in our church is faithfulness. So we can land there and say, well, okay. Or we can do something. If you wanna make a difference in your marriage, in your home, and you fit with your family at work, doesn't have to just stay in this church, you can actually begin to be a faithful person. And I think the best illustration of this is the anchor. I don't know what you think about anchors, if you like anchors, I, I do. Let me give you history of this. I think this will help. When Jesus died, and from about uh, 350 years, for about 350 years, from the from the point Jesus died and after, the Christian symbol was not the cross. That was pretty gross to them. That was like you and I seeing an electric chair. So they're like, no, no, no. And in fact, if they were even to talk about it too much, specifically the cross, it probably would have led to persecution for them. So like, we can't like talk a lot about the cross and, and, and make it a symbol. So what they did is they, they made their symbol an anchor. That was the Christian symbol. I know nowadays like, no, we got to put a cross on absolutely everything we can find. But that's not what early Christians were doing. And in fact, if you read your Bible, you're even going to learn that, that the anchor, the anchor was so important to Christians. Let me show you a place in the Bible. Just, just just one. We have this hope as an anchor, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So if you became a, a nerd when it comes to history, uh, what you would eventually find, when it comes to anchors and Christians, is that this was so profound to them, being faithful and equating it to the anchor, that they begin to put it on their gravestones. If you've never seen a gravestone of an ancient Christian, let me, let me show you one. And you'll notice uh, one language, you're like, I have no idea what that is. The fish are pretty obvious. It's an anchor not a cross. I'm not degrading crosses on this. I'm just, I'm just showing you that the early Christians understood the power of faithfulness so much so that they decided to make sure their soul was anchored. Have you ever been in a situation where the waves and the wind of life were so intense that you lost your way, then perhaps you would be willing to take the story of Nehemiah and learn how to anchor your soul down so that you can be a faithful difference maker. So, we put something together for you. Let me show you. If you take the story of Nehemiah and you learn that the reason they didn't have walls the reason they were living in trouble and disgrace was because the winds and the waves of life had made, had made them anchored down to other things that they should not be anchored down to. So when life got tough, they collapsed and imploded. And I would tell you, our country and our world is in danger of imploding because we are drifting all over the place. What if the Bible isn't just some history lesson or religion to be a part of, but what if you and I were to do the same thing that the people of Israel did after hearing the Bible and confessing, and they said, we will anchor our soul down, and here's how we'll do it. We're going to protect the influences that come into our lives. We're gonna make sure that we actually teach our kids some things. We're gonna protect, we're gonna make sure that the coach doesn't have a stronger authority than the parents do. We're gonna protect. And we're gonna rest. There's gonna be a day that we don't even work. And just so we oh great, a great day to watch movies and video games, this is awesome. I'm not saying those are bad at all, but this was, they were resting so they could learn from God and worship God. That's what they were saying. They weren't just going to be lazy, not lazy, rest with God. And perhaps the most offensive, because I think it's the most epic problem in our nation, at least. Perhaps it's time to start giving. And this has nothing to do with the church and has everything to do with your soul and faithfulness. All of us have been here. There's been times where I've given and the not given. I've rested and not rested and I've not protected. and We've all been guilty, but I'm gonna tell you, what if, what if this is not just some ancient lesson? What if this is for you and I? So, you wanna make a difference? How long? You gonna be a one hit wonder? Or a difference maker the rest of your life? My challenge to you is this. Is that you would refuse to be a one-hit wonder. That you would anchor your soul down to the right things. And that this world could actually be impacted by you, your family, the people that surround you. Because this world not only needs difference makers. This world needs faithful difference makers. If we as a church lock on to this, come on. You understand the light of the world can get pretty, pretty powerful. Let me pray for us. God, God, I ask that you would make us angry, that you would give us a holy discontent about where we've put anchors. God, I pray that you'll give us a conviction that doing life your way is the very best way to live. Lord, for those of us who are convicted by that, God, help us to never lose that conviction that your way is the best way. Lord, help us to be a church that's faithful all year long for decades to come. God, I pray for the husbands and wives, that you would help them to be faithful to each other and their families. I pray for those who are working. Lord, would you help them to be faithful to what they've committed to do, God, as Christians, help us to be faithful to you and your church. Lord, you are worth following, worth listening to, worth worshiping. We acknowledge that and we praise your holy name for who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.